Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 350, recorded October 3rd, 2021. 350, that's a big number. That's a big number. It's like we've been doing this for over 10 years. It's been crazy. Wackadoodle. And and here I thought we could get it all done in three years. Back when we first (laughs) was was that your original estimate? (laughs) Which I think I might have called some uh, question to. Yeah, it was a little maybe overzealous. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, so today we're finishing up or getting close to the finish of UK strips, where we finished the main stories that they did, and now we're going back to do the little short strip stories that they had in the annuals. So UK, for whatever reason, and they still do it today, come out with these annuals every year of popular franchises, and they usually have like little short stories or little short comics or interviews or things like that so just random junk for whatever that franchise is whether it's doctor who star trek whatever mm-hmm. and uh these are the ones from 1970 71 and the summer of 1972 cool so four stories in three books right and donovan and i will be alternating just so you don't get sick of our voices right do you know why I mean, why, I wonder why it's not popular here. Like, it obviously sells there in the UK that they're still doing it even today right. with the annuals. But uh, we don't ever get anything like this here. Hmm. Well, think- okay. So are they still – I mean, so everything we've done for UK comics is definitely has tie-ins to Gary and Sylvia Anderson's TV shows. So, yeah, the Joe 70 magazines. Yeah, so Joe 90 – was from a TV show, and I've got some more de- detail on that before, actually titled Joe 90. And then as far as TV 21 or whatever, I'm not quite sh- 100% sure the details of that when it turned into TV 21. But most of that had, the, they were tie-ins to, to UK TV shows. Right. Now the things today that you say are still coming out today, annuals, is, is that tied to any of the Gary Anderson or... No, no, I don't UK think so. UK TV? I think, I think it's, it's just... just uh, I mean, I'm mainly basing it on Doctor Who, but okay. every year they come out with a Doctor Who annual, and, and in it will be like little short stories or okay. well, uh, interviews and comics and things like that. So, I mean, okay. it, and I'm assuming they do it so. for still other franchises. I think I saw a Star Wars one, because I was in the UK not too... I mean, I guess it's been it's been a while now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But when I was there, you know, you could see those on the store shelves. These, uh, they call them annuals, but they're little little books that have a bunch of just random stuff in it. Oh, cool! But okay. I was always surprised that they don't resell those here in the United States. I mean, you can buy them on Amazon and have them shipped over from the UK, but no publisher here publishes them. Hmm. I don't know. I would think just it seems would, weird. It would have an audience, right? But if a lot of them have Doctor Who material, that is kind of tied into T- UK TV. Right. 
or at least yeah, the like Doctor the, Who part. All the ones I saw, they were all like franchise stuff. They were like uh, whatever the franchise was, okay. annual. Which isn't necessarily anything to do with any TV shows. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And in fact, I have a couple of the Star Trek annuals, and they're actual hardbound Star Trek only annuals. Whereas I think these TV twenty one annuals that have these strips in them, mm-hmm. you know, I think Star Trek was only you know five or six pages right. in that book, whereas the rest right. was like Tarzan and the Saint. And okay, there you go. Which stuff. explains why these are so short. The, right. The, there's not a lot of pages to any of these. That's right. why we can get four, we can get four in. Right, yeah. They're, they're, to one they're episode. Pretty... To one of our episodes. It's just weird how things are different. They, 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 you think, like, oh, they get more stuff than we do because they get these extra annuals every year. Mm-hmm. So, well, they do, damn it. Just being a fan, I just like, I, I want that stuff here, too. Yeah. Anyways. We're talking about stories with exciting titles like Target Zargot. That is the first one. Yeah, it's the first one that I'm going to do. All right, let's hear it. Okay, let's 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 get it going. This is the Star Trek UK Comics slash Joe ninety Top Secret Annual nineteen seventy, and uh, the title is Targets Argot. And I'm not sure exactly what the published date is, but it's going to be sometime in nineteen seventy, I guess. You don't know the exact dates, do you, Donovan? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. Fine. Uh, no idea who was creative team. Do you know any of that, Donovan? No, but okay. actually, I, I do know the release date of the book. I lied earlier. Oh, okay. Uh, so what's so the, the um, Joe ninety top secret annual of nineteen sixty nine came out? Oh, sixty nine. Yep, that's it. <laughs> okay. For the other ones, I it had the date, uh, but for this one, it doesn't actually have the date. So I don't know. I just okay. it it's okay. listed as nineteen sixty nine, even though we had it listed as nineteen seventy. So I don't. Oh, know. okay. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So, sorry. Uh, the first page of the book says Joe 90 Top Secret Annual 1970. While on its mission of exploration and peaceful contact with alien civilizations, the Enterprise witnesses an unfamiliar ship following an erratic trajectory in the Alpha Helio star system. It eventually blows up and ejects a life capsule. On the captain's orders, Mr. Spock calls the Rescue Squad into action. An oddly shaped yellow shuttle with a big capital R on its side streaks out of the Enterprise and races towards the life capsule. They suction cup the life capsule and cut into the capsule where they find one lone survivor. Before the survivor that Dr. McCoy can understand perfectly dies... He asks for help and says his planet, named Zargot, is in the grip of a deadly pandemic. When they return to the Enterprise, Captain Kirk is briefed and told what killed the alien could affect them also. Though they do not know where Zargot is, Captain starts a search for the pandemic world by locating the closest Class M planet and exploring a city they picked up on sensors. Not long after they are beamed down, the landing party find a ground car that contained dead aliens that looked just like the alien they found in the life pod. Looks like they found Zargot, but they are not wearing spacesuits or even hazmat gear, the landing party. So if the pandemic affects humans and Vulcans, they are royally screwed. 
They venture deeper into the city and find more locales, but not all of them are dead. They find out from Dr. Ixta that the serum they need must include herbs from a nearby planet called Koltak. The landing party beams back to the Enterprise and races to Koltak. They take a shuttle with a new shape and X4 on its side down to the planet. Immediately after landing, a huge dinosaur-like orange-colored monster attacks the shuttle. Continued phaser blasts finally brings down the beast, a little too close to the shuttle for comfort. They find the needed herbs and race back to the shuttle when a pterodactyl-like monster attacks them. They shoot the flying nightmare with phaser fire, which slows it down long enough for them to clamber on board the shuttle with their precious cargo. They take off and return to Zargot. Five days later, the serum has been created, distributed, and the planet is diseased-free. The Zargotian leader thanks Captain Kirk and his crew for saving his people. As McCoy and Kirk head back to yet a third type of Enterprise shuttle for their trip back to the Enterprise, the Zargotians launch fireworks in honor of their saviors. The end. I love this style. The art style? Or what do you yeah. mean? Okay. Yeah, the art style. Okay, it really talk- reminds me of those first UK strips that we were doing where everything looks nothing like Star Trek. Nothing like Star Trek. Very cool. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on that third ship that you were talking about, the third shuttle, I love that it has the word Enterprise <laughs> across the side. Just Where none of the other ships did. Right. None, none of the other shuttles did. Ah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful now the artwork is really nice i mean again looks nothing like star trek but i love it i love how just so bonkers it looks like (laughs) with the transporter pad being these like with these three like i don't know speakers or something like pointing straight at the pad like it's gonna like blast you with sound or something yeah It, it looks cool but again it has no no real world equivalent in in actual on screen star trek now, the first place you see the Enterprise, which is in the first panel, isn't that far off. The nacelles might be a little lower than normal, and certainly the color, the orange and hot pink color scheme, is eye candy, but it's it's not horribly off from the TV show. Um, Got the fire coming out of the nacelles. Well, and the engineering section. Yep. So just like Old Key, they have exhaust, or what looks like exhaust, coming out of the uh, to the shuttle bay. But then the next time you see the Enterprise, it's like, oh my god. They j- Just to make it fit in a vertical panel where they didn't have a lot of left and right, the entire... It looks like the entire saucer section has moved back, so it's directly above the nacelles and the engineering section. And I don't even see the neck anymore. Or if there well, is the a neck, there, it's the backward? It's pointing the, it's pointing the backwards. Okay, okay. Well, that, that's really... Okay. But the way they drew it, it's like, you could make a, a case for there not even being one, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Right. And it's like, oh my God, look at that. And then the first shuttle, the rescue shuttle, so now they have got specialized shuttles on the Enterprise, which I think the JJ-verse had a couple different kinds. But this thing is that yellow with some orange in it, and the closest thing I could say that that thing looks to is Thunderbirds 4. 
Do you remember the yellow Thunderbirds 4? I don't remember anything about Thunderbirds. Okay, well, Thunderbirds 4 is the submarine one. And it's mostly yellow, and it's got, like, pink, some some pink-ish kind of sort of stripes on it. And it has the number 4 on it. But in place... Instead of an R. Exactly. So on the side, where we see the R in this thing, uh, the Thunderbirds 4 had a big old 4 on it. Now, they're not exactly 100% the same, but it's pretty reminiscent. I do like that they bothered to have a telescoping, I guess, uh, airlock or something, whatever that thing is on the nose. I mean, because when you see that it suction cups the the ship, you can see that that's Don't you love the suction cups? But aren't they, I mean, they look like suction cups, but they're supposed to be magnetic? Uh, Yeah, I agree that they look like suction cups. Yeah. But it's kind of cool that that nose thing's actually a... um, a telescoping airlock. Yeah, that that is a good cool. idea. You know, because you got to admit the shuttles on Star Trek with the you know the hydraulic hinge door, uh, they never really seemed like it was all that space worthy. <laughs> <laughs> like, how would you open that up in space? Well, well, you can blame AMC for that, right? Or AMC, AMT, the model maker. Oh, really? Well, isn't that what the? Well, okay. Well, somebody probably designed it. Other than, you you heard about the story about how original Taws production got the the physical prop for the no. Galileo Seven episode. No, I assumed it was the shoebox that they just <laughs> stuck from the cells on and called it a day. Supposedly, they got the model maker AMT to pay for it so that they could make models of it. Oh, that's cool. And then, yeah, that was what they came up with. But well, yeah, and and I'm sure somebody on the on the Star Trek production staff probably came up with the design. But hmm. they got AMT to pay for it. That's At least that's the story I read. That's cool. Anyway, yeah. So to keep with the motif of the giant R, I mean, you assume that means rescue ship? Yes. This is a rescue ship used by the rescue team. And then the, uh, shoot, what's their name? Zartonians? Whatever their names are? Yeah, whatever you want to call them. Is that three on their ship? Is that uh, their... Their species oh. logo or something like that? I I don't know. It, it looks like either a thunderbolt or a lightning bolt or a three. I didn't... Yeah, that does look like a three. Now that you mentioned Well, it. later when they save the save everybody, uh-huh. the leader or whatever also has a three on his shirt. So ah, I I think it's a three. Okay. But I also think that the, uh, you know, the board logo looks like a bear claw or something. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know where they came up with that. You want. I don't know where they came up with that. I agree with you. It looks like a bear claw. Anyway, yeah, so, w- w- what about the, the second shuttle? See, that's the one they actually take to the planet, the X-4 yes, one. the X-4 one, which is totally different design. Yeah. It at least looks like a shuttlecraft, kind of. I mean, at least has nacelles. There's some cool things about it. Yeah. But it looks nothing like the Enterprise, nothing like the rescue shuttle. I mean, it. all these things have, like, their own design language. Right. Which is fine for... Variety, but <laughs> you could sell a lot of toys with this Star Trek. Good point. Good point. Yeah, so I wonder what X four stands for on that one. I don't know, but, but nowhere yeah, well, on I it have... does it say Enterprise. Yeah, why well, have boring names like Galileo Seven when you can have X four? <laughs> and it has like what four jet turbines on the back, and then it has the two nacelles. But the nacelles are really cool because they're kind of like I don't know, like a. Uh knotted or something like that they have all these it's not just a smooth pylon it's actually no. like bump 
looks pretty cool. It kind of looks like one of those things where you saw electricity come out of in Dr. Frankenstein's uh, oh, yeah, labo- yeah. Uh, laboratory or something. Tesla coil or something like that? Yes, I don't know, something like that. But it, it's, it's cool because it's deployable. So when it's on the ship and being stored, it looks like the nacelles suck in. Right. Kind of like, uh, what, the Defiance uh, warp nacelles? You know, kind of fold in. Right. Because there's not a lot of room inside the, the Defiant. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of a nice design touch. But, I mean, nothing. This does not look like it came from the same species <laughs> at all. But, yeah, leave a lot of difference. And then the last one, which you mentioned, is in the last panel. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, is that a Zartonian ship or something? But it says Enterprise right across the side. So. Right. Uh, so, no, it's yet a third kind of shuttle. And this looks nothing like the first two. Nope. Well, it but looks you... closer to the first one, but still, even at that, that's that's know, being generous. All, yeah, that's being pretty generous because this one's all sleek and smooth, where the that first one was yeah. all knobby. And but did right. you see the uh, controls for the uh, X four uh, with the giant you... steering wheel? Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I don't re- I don't remember. It's on the uh, the very last page in the top left hand corner. Oh, yeah, look at that. Banning the steering Good wheel. Good point. Good point. That's a big steering wheel. <laughs> and it looks like it's got a tachometer and a speedometer. Uh, so I see the two round things up there. Right. Yeah, just... Uh, Funny. That would be hard to control a, a flying ship with a giant steering wheel like that. Yeah. And the inside of the Enterprise, where... They're trying to find where they first come upon the alien planet. Mm-hmm. And then they have a big old screen, big old screen, where they kind of see a city on the surface and stuff. And it's like, this looks like it's a room that is huge and tall. And I'm sorry, that's not the bridge. And no. that is, I mean, maybe the shuttle bay could have been this big because it's multi, multi-story multi tall. It, I think it's stellar cartography. Uh, stellar Okay. It's ginormous. And the Enterprise never, I mean, the Taws Enterprise, I don't think ever had such a room. Right. Anyway. Again, it looks really cool, mm-hmm. but does not fit the aesthetic no. of Star Trek. No. And as far as people's faces are concerned, there are some that are eh, close enough, but most of the drawings of the characters are way off. Right. I, I gave up on trying to pick out who was who yeah by just their faces <laughs> yeah and then you have like spock smiling at one point oh right yeah there you go i mean i know spock did smile in the first two pilots but uh right that's not the spock we know no no that's that is not the spock we know so yeah so reading this right after the you know or in the middle of the ongoing pandemic it, it was a little uh like boy, this is kind of close to home uh with mm-hmm. you know i a plague destroying half your sure. or your whole whole species. Sure. And this is not the first time Star Trek has done something like this. Right. Uh, what, what, Miri, I guess, was one of the closest ones. Right. Uh, and that's probably not the only one, but that's the one that comes to mind first. Oh, right. Yeah. They've done it. Yeah. And we've had it in, in comic book form, too, just... Right. I'm just saying, reading it now versus reading it back in 69, I would have had a different uh, oh, take Oh, gotcha, on. gotcha, right. 
you know, we don't have pterodactyls trying to attack us, but we do have a plague that's that's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but apparently some people don't think so, or else they get inoculated. Ah, oh, well. Yeah. yeah. We must safeguard our liberty. I don't have anything else to say about the comic book, and maybe you do. Well, I don't. You, okay, fine. So these, these aren't that many pages. They're not that long. But I just wanted to quickly, since we're in spitting distance of wrapping up UK comics, I just wanted to mention that I did go and look up Joe 90 because I was hoping to get more information, like maybe who might have been the artists involved in this particular issue. But instead of getting Joe 90 top secret comics, I ended up hitting wikis that were talking about the Joe 90 TV series. So... I just thought I'd... Do you mind if I briefly say a little bit about it? Yeah, please. Okay. There were a ton of different TV shows that the Andersons came up with, and half of them I don't even know what they are. And this is one of them I am completely unfamiliar with. Yes, I'm familiar with Thunderbirds, as most people are. Captain Scarlet, uh, I'm familiar that it exists, although I've never seen an episode. And then eventually, when they got into the live-action UFO and then uh, Space 1999. But... Joe 90 uh, was a TV series that ran from 1968 to 1969 on, you know, British TV. And it was created by Gary and Sylvia Anderson and filmed by their production company, Century 21. Okay, so that's the name of their production company, or one of, one of several that they had running. And that was done for ITC Entertainment, which I think is the uh, UK independent channel. So that's not right. BBC, I think. Anyway, um, so it follows the exploits of a nine-year-old schoolboy named Joe McLean, who becomes a spy after his adoptive father invents a device capable of recording expert knowledge and experiences and transferring it into another human brain. Armed with the skills of the world's top academic and military minds, Joe is recruited by the World Intelligent Network, WIN as its most special agent. So there you go. It's a, it's a kid spy thing. Hmm. Was it Cody? Cody? What was that recent or not that far uh, ago movie that was uh, like a, a child spy guy? Oh, I don't know. Agent, ah, agent Cody Banks. That's it. <laughs> so it, it sounds a little bit like that. So they had uh, the guy that did... Uh, Oh, what was that show? Uh, uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Middle. That's it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so they made 30 episodes of Joe 90, and Joe 90 was intended to be a different kind of super marionette series with the emphasis less on action, gadgetry, and special effects, and more on characterization and plots that were more spy thriller than science fiction. Okay, there you go. Oh, so there you go. There you got you got some, and then there were some photos in the wiki page, which is interesting. Seeing the uh, marionette characters, and Joe ninety is a little guy. I mean, he's he's short. He's like maybe nine years old or something, or ten years old, because uh, he is very short compared to all the adults around him. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Super marionette. Okay, that's it. I just thought I'd give you a little bit more detail because I didn't know any of this stuff. Of where the Joe 90 name came from. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Good job, Jim. Teaching us a little bit about British TV. Yeah, well, we don't get it all here. That's true. 
like we didn't get these books until they got consolidated into that classics UK comics right hardcover great book great book great books plural yes alright anything else nothing alright so we uh, that was that one was released in the first UK comic strips omnibus but uh, this next one was released in the second and I have it synopsized somewhere oh here it is <laughs> Alright, so this one was released originally in 1971. Memory Beta gives it a date of September 1st, 1970, but it's the TV21 annual 1971. So I guess they have a release date, comes out before the actual year starts. I don't know, seems weird. But uh, most recently it was collected into the Omnibus, the Classic UK Comics by IDW Volume 2. And is entitled Captives in Space. And I do not know who wrote it or drew it. So uh, the crew beamed down to the planet Skur, where they're supposed to meet the locals. When they beam down, they see some humanoid cavemen-type characters, and they assume that this is the species that they're supposed to be meeting with. Once they try to communicate with these cavemen, the real leaders of the planet show up, and they are feline aliens. Very much like Planet of the Apes here, except switch out the apes with cats. The feline leaders say that the cavemen are just mindless cattle. The crew's taken to the Securian leader, and they have a huge meal in their honor. But Scotty keeps making lots of verbal jabs about how their resemblance is to household cats. And then he takes it a bit too far to the point where the leader is actually very insulted and uh, enough so that he throws the crew into cages and puts them into the local zoo. Uh, the crew is able to break out pretty easily when the zookeepers come to feed them. Kirk releases several of the other cages that have the humanoids, and they all jump out and act as decoys slash distractions. During all the turmoil, Kirk gets a hold of a rifle, and he actually shoots one of the humanoid cavemen, before it attacks the feline fallen Sakurian, who just happens to be the leader's son. In the eyes of the sun, he, this now proves that the Federation's people are not savage monsters, and he allows them to beam back to their ship safe and sound. The end. So come on, you didn't expect him to say, get your hands off me, you damn dirty cat. Cat? <laughs> Ah, uh, I I must say I wasn't. <laughs> but oh, really? Now that wow. you bring it up, <laughs> it was just like it to me. <laughs> I mean, except you know they're they're much nicer than the apes were by having a banquet instead of just throwing nets on him. Yeah, yeah, and zapping him in the throat. Right. So well, yeah, Scotty's a, a butthead though. He is a butthead. He's met how many other species and he's never acted like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's up with that? I was shocked how much of a butthead Scotty was. And why did they pick Scotty to be the poster child for intolerance? So Scotty was intolerant of the cat people and what they were doing to the uh, the ape, the Neanderthals or whatever they are. Yeah. And then the cat people turned out to be real poopheads too, intolerant poopheads too. And I thought this whole story 
was about two races coming together for the first time and having to overcome prejudices due to each other's appearance, right? Right. Okay. Yep. So this kind of thing must have gone on a lot in the early days of human space travel when they first came into contact with others, although it was handy that Vulcans look so much like humans. Right. That you would think that a Starfleet crew would be trained to control their prejudices better than Scotty did. Right. So, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was good in general, you know, just showing how prejudices can creep into something like this, a first contact situation. But uh, I, I, I just thought it should have, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Starfleet t- uh, crew have to do this all the time. So what, what the, what's the deal? Right. Yeah, you didn't see Archer go, ooh, you have antennae? Nah. <laughs> and you got blue skin? What's the deal? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like that Scotty was the one doing it. I mean, but I get that it's a, you know, what, five or six page story for kids. Yeah. So you got to be quick. And uh, and this story definitely is quick. Yeah, it's quick. There's not a lot to it. But the I... idea is kind of cool, the whole... I mean, that's why Planet of the Apes still works, right? I mean, the whole idea that uh, another species other than than humans are the rulers of the planet, mm-hmm. and humans are mute and uncivilized, and mm-hmm. would be seen as you know pets, yeah, or cattle. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering why in Star Trek do we see so many alien species looking like cats? I don't remember there ever being a alien species in Star Trek that looked like dogs. But we got Mares. Yeah. And then we, we got these guys. And the Kazinti from the original series. Kazinti. Animated series and the right. Lower Decks. Right. But yep. no dogs. And, and the, then... uh, the stripper from Star Trek Three, which I think you just recently watched in 4K. So I'm sure you really appreciated that scene. <laughs> There you go. So then I started thinking, well, why aren't there any dogs in Star Trek? And then I think, well, what about all of sci-fi? And then immediately the first thing that came to mind was Chewie, of course. <laughs> He's not a dog. Chewbacca. Well, look, look at his face. Look at his face. He's more like a bear. No, look at his face. His face is nothing like a bear. Uh, I think his face looks like a dog. So I went ahead and, and said... And I really, quite frankly, I never really thought about that before. I mean, he is supposed to be kind of like a dog. Dog right. guy, right? Although I completely agree with you. He's big and he stands on his hind legs and he's got the hair, which makes you think ape a little bit. But, right. but really. So I went ahead and just did a little wiki search. And what did I come up with? Apparently. Can I guess what you came up with? Okay, go ahead. That he's based on George Lucas's dog, Indiana? Uh, No. No, Indiana. That's funny. <laughs> is that is that true? Or you just made all yeah, that. I think I think that's true. Okay. Okay. Fine. Um, Anyways, what'd you find out? I found out that George Lucas said, "Yeah, the Chewy Han relationship took inspiration from a man and his dog." Right. Okay. Fine. What I read didn't say anything about George Lucas's dog in particular, but you ha- you have more information. That's probably true. Anyway, as I was reading this, another link was there. <laughs> there was at least one, maybe two times, where Han was actually petting Chewie. Right? 
around the neck. Uh, there's at least oh, one yeah, time right. that that happened. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess so. I, it was there the whole time. I never really thought about it. <laughs> so there was this other thing where a guy named Arthur Chu went ahead and proposed something that is flipped. Basically saying that Chewie thinks of Han as his favorite pet. Right, because he's so long-lived. Yeah, Long-lived, exactly, right. I've heard the same, same argument about Spock and Kirk in that, you know, Kirk's lifespan would be the equivalent of a dog for us compared to the, the long life of a Vulcan. Okay, well. That you would, you would end up thinking of them more as, you know, they're good companions, but they're also short-lived companions compared to your well, long life. In the future, people can live up to, uh, in humans, uh, like 100-ish years old, and McCoy went beyond that. Now, yeah. how long do, do uh, Vulcans live? 200 years? Yeah, something like that. Okay, so double. That's not quite this lifespan. It's not quite the same thing with dogs. I mean, but, okay. I get your point. Okay, so yeah. here's what this Arthur Chu says. Uh, Han Solo... Oh, I'm sorry. What? No, so I'm, I'm saying, yeah, do it. Okay. Han Solo and Chewbacca are totally, as Lucas said, a sci-fi version of a man and his dog. If the dog were the one who was bigger and stronger and smarter and more emotionally mature and longer lived and... Wait a minute. Han is the dog. It's like, okay, well... I agree, bigger, stronger, I don't know about smarter, and more emotionally mature. I think he pulled that out of his ass, <laughs> uh, quite frankly, or but longer lived, definitely, no two ways about it. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that, because I, th- I found that whole idea interesting. One of the memes that I saw recently that I thought was very, very funny was mm-hmm. Han talking about, you know, I don't believe any of that, you know, he's talking to Obi-Wan, and he's like, I don't believe in that, you know sci-fi mumbo-jumbo mm-hmm, to believe mm-hmm. in a force. And then Chewbacca's like, Han, I've told you so many times, I've fought with Yoda and the other Jedi mm-hmm. during the Clone Wars, blah, 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 blah. And then it cuts back to Han and he's like, you said it, Chewbacca, they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Implying that he never could understand what Chewbacca was saying ever. It was like, <laughs> Chewbacca was just grunting and then he was filling in what Chewbacca said with what he really wanted him to say. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Because I mean, that's because he knows to... no one else speaks Wookie in the room, right? And neither does he. He just—it's like you. Talk oh, okay, to well, your but, dog. but that's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. So, is it that Han actually doesn't speak Wookie, uh, or that he does speak Wookie, and then he can't be wrong? So he tells everybody else <laughs> Chewie agreed with him because nobody else speaks Wookie who's in the room. Uh, I, I took it that it was that he never could speak Wookie. You know? <laughs> But but I guess what you said could be also be interpreted. I mean, that way. D- d- didn't they though communicate complex ideas from time oh, yeah, to time? Yeah. Oh yeah, they, they okay. had cool conversations. Okay, so they yeah they could talk to each other. And then in Solo, he actually speaks Shabrook, so he can actually speak it in in the Solo movie. Right, right. Anyways, just funny. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that there's no dog people. I can't think of any except for, like, Star Fox and stuff, which obviously everybody's an animal. So mm. I can't think of a sci-fi movie that has, uh, you know, long-eared dog people in it. I'm sure there is, but I don't know. I, I can't think of any either. Just It would look stupid as, like, you know, somebody with a basset hound face. Yeah. But <laughs> but cats but cats is a good thing? Kind of, yeah. They have that Why? regal-looking face structure. I, I okay. can see it. Okay. Cool. It's funny. Good observation. 
Oh, there you go. I do have something to say about the comic. This is an older one, so, of course, Kirk's tunic is red, and the only one with a red shirt, and Scotty's tunic is blue. Just I, We've said that before in some of the issues, when they right. were doing that. Yeah. And then the other thing i got to say is, there's one panel in particular where they draw Kirk fat. Uh, I don't remember that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, did they draw Kirk fat. It's in the second page. And it's the top, it's the first panel on the second page. Oh. Where Kurt, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can kind of see it. <laughs> it's like, he looks fine in the other panels, but in this panel, he, he's put on some weight. <laughs> well, he just beamed down. He, he's readjusting to the different gravity. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> Anywho. That's funny. Anyway. Now, my last comment was how they escaped from that cage. It mm-hmm. was just... It was really stupid that, you know, basically the captors would think that they're just mindless apes, too, and then mm-hmm. not take the precautions to open the door wide open when you're going to feed them. I don't know. I I'd, I'd, just seemed really silly that the um, – I mean, obviously, the leaders know that they're intelligent, mm-hmm. but the zookeepers wouldn't have been told. I mean, that, that was Kirk's whole plan. I'm sure the keepers don't know that we're actually intelligent, so we'll be able to break out. You know, and it's just like, why would they not have been told? Well, not only that, is if the humans are dangerous at all, which in other parts of the book they seem to say, oh yeah, humans can be dangerous. I mean, whether you're intelligent or not, you can be dangerous. So you would be caution, you would be very cautious when you open a cage door. Right. Anyway. Yeah. It's a comic. What do you want? Yeah. Yeah, and there's no women cavemen. Hmm. It's all naked men. Uh, which have a lot of hair. Yeah, thank goodness. They're pretty hairy. Yeah, we really don't need to see parts. But I did think it was weird that they never showed any women in any of those cages. Good point. Good point. So where where do the little ones come from? <laughs> They're back at home by the fire. Ah, uh, they don't get captured. They're smarter. <laughs> They're smarter. <laughs> yeah. It's the women that are smart in that race. That makes sense. All right. That was really all I have. Okay. Shall we go on to number three? Yes, please. Okay. So the third story today is also from annual 1971. So they got two stories in one book. And this is the second one. It's titled Planet of Rejects. While exploring Astral Sector 4, the crew of the Enterprise spot a ship of unknown configuration crossing their path and heading towards a planet at the edge of the sector. But rather than slowing down to enter orbit or position itself for a safe entry into the planet's atmosphere for landing, it continues into the atmosphere at its existing high speed. As the ship's hull starts to glow red with atmospheric friction, Captain Kirk gives the order to enter standard orbit so a landing party can go down to the wreckage and hopefully render aid to anyone who survived. On the doomed ship's trajectory, they find what can be described as a space junkyard. Dozens of derelict ships are in attendance. Kirk, again in a red tunic, Sulu in a blue tunic, And Spock, properly dressed, look around but notice a group of at least six bald alien humanoids are approaching them from behind. Sulu goes for his gun, but Kirk tells him to put it away as Kirk attempts to speak to the aliens using the translator built into his communicator. 
The lead alien says his name is Kandok from the planet Thax. He and his crew crashed on this planet recently, but with no radio and little food, they expect to die on this alien world. Kirk offers to rescue them and take them back to Thax. The Thaxians take Kirk up on his offer, but not long after returning to the Enterprise, Kandok pulls a gun on Kirk and says Thax exiled he and his men to that planet for rebelling against the government. Spock and Kirk attempt to disarm Kandok, but find out how fast and strong Thaxians are when they kick the crap out of Spock and Kirk. Kandok and his men are able to take over the ship and take Ohura as hostage. Kirk and Spock are locked up in a storeroom for some strange reason rather than using the brig, and of course soon escape through a man-sized air vent and conduit system. They get to Kirk's quarters and use a transmitter to contact Thax. The Thaxians tell Kirk if Kirk cannot retake his ship, they will destroy the Enterprise rather than letting Kandok and his people return and stir up trouble on Thax again. Kirk tells Spock to use his big Vulcan brain and take out Kandok without hurting Ohura. Spock comes up with the idea to pump anesthesine gas into all locations Kandok and his people occupy. By glory! Kirk loves the idea. Kirk and Spock throw gas grenades into the bridge ventilation, but when they enter the bridge, only Ohura is knocked out. Whoa! Thaxians are immune to anesthesine gas. Who knew? A firefight ensues as the ship approaches Thax. Kirk attempts to warn Kandok about the incoming missiles from Thax, but the only communicator on the bridge is accidentally blasted by a phaser, so they can no longer understand what is being said to each other. Kirk's familiarity with using a phaser pays dividends and convinces Kandok to retreat to the turbolift. Spock thinks they will try to escape in a shuttlecraft, and he is right. With control of the bridge restored, Kirk raises shields just in time to harmlessly destroy two of the three missiles. The third missile veers off to home in on a new target, the shuttle stolen by Kandok. The shuttle blows to bits, ending the Kandok threat. Kirk gives orders to move on. They will not be visiting the planet Thax anytime soon. The end. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Why not visit? The people on the planet are actually good people, right? They're the ones that rejected him. Well, they're not they good people. Too, so. They're not good people because they wouldn't even talk about anything other than blowing up the Enterprise unless That's Kirk true. is able to retake the ship. It's what true. a bunch That's of poop heads. True. Yeah. Man, this, this issue is full of poop heads. Exactly, and they're all from facts. So Kirk is like, hey, you know, you guys are a bunch of poop heads. We're taking a pass. Later. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. So yeah, the gas. I, I thought that was a pretty cool idea because you're. That's always your number one comment. Anytime the bridge is taken over, you, you are always in my head saying, "Necessine <laughs> gas." Necessine <laughs> gas. And, and gas. so when they actually said it this time, I was like, "Oh, they're listening to Ken." <laughs> and then it didn't work. Yeah. So unlike the Taz TV show, they don't actually have a an anti-border situation like that. So they actually have to have gas grenades that they throw into a vent. So, 
And funny how it it doesn't actually work on Thaxians. <laughs> nope. Yeah. But I did like the masks that they wore, that the, the crew wore to keep themselves from being knocked out. You oh, don't you, you don't see that a lot. Yeah. You I like it. that. Yeah. Cool. Better than, you know, mesh spacesuit. Yeah, so it kind of looks like <laughs> what some people are wearing because of COVID. You know, the, the plastic shield. Oh, the clear yeah, plastic one, shield. Yeah, but this one's actually attached to their skin True. to create that seal. Right. So you've got a strap around the back, and then you've got plastic shield goes from your forehead above your forehead, and then all the way to your hairline pretty much, and then all the way down over your, your mouth, and then there's some kind of respirator at the bottom. Right, with a little filter in the in there, yeah. Right. Yeah, it looks basically like the uh, old World War II gas mask, except it's all clear, except for the yeah. respirator part. Yeah, it's a small respirator. It's right. the future. The future. The future. Yeah. I don't want to be specious, but mm-hmm. uh, why'd they all look the same? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. Every single one of them looked exactly the same. Exactly. They all look same. like, they all look like, well, kind of Lex Luthor. Purple Lex Luthors, yep. Right. Now, some yeah, of them. Their clothes and their skin are the exact same shade of purple. It yeah. just seems weird. Now, the only Very thing different true. I can see is that, like, one guy has a shirt open exposing his six-pack abs. Other than that, they all pretty much look the same. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have them, show them off, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Well, do some have a Hans Solo vest? Yeah, the one guy's wearing <laughs> short pants and a, and a Hans Solo vest, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, why he's wearing, like, a Speedo as pants, just <laughs> Hey, if you uh, got if you got the legs, show them off. I guess so. <laughs> it might be really hot on their planet, so maybe that's why. Might be. They're, they're in such skimpy clothes. I do like how they're leaning into the communicator having a uh, translation feature. Right, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they never, ever, 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 ever acknowledge that at all in TOS. Or anything else that I can think of. Uh, in any of the TV series. However, that was always the explanation, right? Or that, well, that was the, expl- the explanation I heard outside of the TV show. I think in Next Generation they say that it's part of the communicator. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. I don't remember that, but okay. But then when they went to... Because I remember I used to always have a problem with it, especially in Voyager, when mm-hmm. they would, you know, the Kazon would take their communicators off. And, then, and they still could talk. And they would still be able to talk. And I'm yeah. like, uh... They shouldn't be able to understand you at all. Yep. Unless you learned Esperanza. But every other situation, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, because they always have it on them. Yeah. But a real translator would have to also somehow selectively mute the real words the alien is saying and just allow the English trans or Esperanto uh, translation or Federation standard Right. Allow that translation to reach your ears, and vice versa. Right. And do it so inconsistently, right? Because anytime a Klingon speaks Klingon, they don't translate that for some reason. That always bothered mm. me in Next Generation, mm. when you mm. randomly they would start speaking Klingon, and you're just like, wouldn't that get translated too? Why, why is suddenly that yeah. not uh, translated for the group? Yep. Well, one of the Taws movies, I forgot which one it was, 
maybe it was the first one, I don't know, where at the beginning of the movie, when you first see a Klingon, they're speaking Klingon. Yeah, that's the motion picture. Okay. And then after a little while, you know, the, you can see the filmmaker saying, okay, this is probably long enough. Let him speak English. Uh, so you wouldn't have to read subtitles the whole time. And right. then all of a sudden they start speaking in English. So I kind of understand what they did. It, it's artificial, but I really don't want to read subtitles the whole time. So good job, guys. Yeah. No, I like it when they do that. Yeah. They got the point across. Yeah, it's weird because uh, of all movies, The Predator, the last Predator movie, they mm-hmm. they kind of did that too, except it wasn't quite the same thing, but they would like write out what they were saying in, in that Predator font, and then it would like turn into English font oh. for, for oh, us, the reader, gotcha. for us, the watcher, right. to know what The Predator was saying. Okay. But I'd... I didn't really care for it because I don't like thinking of The Predators having conversations. They just They just need to be killing people. <laughs> but they're intelligent right right yeah I mean I know that they can talk to each other but as a viewer I don't really want to see that you just want to see cold heartless killers I just want to see action <laughs> usually at the expense of somebody else <laughs> <laughs> I'll just make there you go right 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 uh, anyways back to this I don't really have a lot to say uh, I mean the artwork is on par with the mid-range of when TV21 was doing the, the book Mm-hmm. So they look more like actually Star Trek tech with, with some flares, but yeah. for the most part, it looks like yeah. what you would see in the show. And the last panel where Kirk's face is pretty prominent, that does look like Shatner. The hair it's looks very right. dark haired. Well, ex- I agree with that. It, it's, it's jet black hair, which right. isn't right. But everything else, you know, the haircut, yes. And then the facial features, yes. Uh, right. And the red shirt, but hey, other than that. <laughs> now, they haven't got away from the red shirt yet. No, not yet. Maybe in the next one we read, they won't have red shirts anymore. Yeah. Maybe. Right, maybe. The phasers confuse me here because they don't look like Star Trek phasers, uh, Federation phasers, Starfleet phasers. However, it was not 100% clear to me that when they came onto the Enterprise and then Kadon. Kandon, whatever his name is, pulled the gun on Kirk. I wasn't sure whether he grabbed Kirk's phaser or whether he came aboard with a pistol. And if he came yeah. aboard with a pistol, where did he get the pistol? I yeah, mean, I thought that he took it from, from Kirk's pocket. Okay, good. Okay, so we agree on that. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and when you look at it, you can kind of see he's got like one of the belts on, you know, the, the equipment belt on. And yeah, you can see his thing. hands... Yeah, his hand's down by it. But when you look at the gun, it looks nothing like a, a Taw's phaser. Right. Eh, whatever. Yeah, but it does match the one that I guess McCoy or whoever that is at the top of that page has in his hand. So. Oh, McCoy? I'm uh, assuming it's McCoy. I don't know. No, it says Sulu. Oh, Sulu? Yeah. Yeah, I, okay, there, there you go. It, it pretty much looks like that, I agree. They're more or less consistent in how they're drawing them, and they're all wrong. Right. Agreed. And especially when Spock tries to grab Kadon's gun arm, and you can get a good view of the uh, gun he's got. No, that looks like a banana. <laughs> that, that does not look like a Starfleet phaser. It's right. yellow, and it's got little things on the on one end and the other end, and it's a <laughs> banana. It's a straight banana. Anyway. Right. All right, that's anything else? That. Nope, that's it. All right, so now we're moving to another book. And for our last story of the day, 
This is actually reprinted in uh, UK Strips Volume 3. Originally published by Valiant and TV21 Summer Special 1972, and Memory Beta has that as a, a date of July 1972. And it is entitled Smoke and Mirrors. For whatever reason, this one's in black and white, so it's not uh, color. So, you know, all the little comments about their shirts being the wrong color will not be in this issue because it's all black and white. Kirk and Spock meet with the president of a planet called Forenia, which when I was reading it, I kept calling it Florida, but uh, it's Forenia. And it seems that they were recently attacked by a Klingon space ray. So as they're meeting with the president, the Klingon commander arrives and states that he can destroy anything on the planet with his space rays and that he is now taking over the planet. Kirk and Spock attack and are able to escape the commander and his guards. Once alone, Kirk orders the Enterprise to leave orbit and hide since they will be no match for this new space ray. Meanwhile, the Klingon ship hangs over the planet with its death ray pointed at the capital. And it basically looks like a D7 with a very pointed front part. So Spock and Kirk make their way to a meteorological station and they meet up with a man named Markin. Uh, he is able to help them get a probe ready and he actually starts spreading rumors around the town that the Federation is about to launch a probe rigged with a bomb up towards the Klingon ship. The Klingons are ready for this. So as the Federation guys, Kirk and Spock, launch the probe from the planet... The Klingons are ready, and they target it with their space ray, and they fire. Instead of the space ray destroying the probe, as you would think would happen, it actually reflects straight back towards the ship and destroys it. Kirk and Spock then easily attack and subdue the commander and his guards, but this time they put him under arrest. The end. A nice short one. Short and sweet. There you go. The name of the story, Spoken Mirrors. I kind of liked it, with the mirror being the probe. Yeah, doesn't so this make is... sense, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, so this is like a uh, communication satellite or whatever it is. It was a it was a weather satellite. A weather satellite, okay. Yeah, that they were able to affix mirrors to into like a dome kind of thing, which is right. like okay, yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> I thought it was clever, if impractical physically, you know, to get mirrors like that. I mean, maybe it was made out of polished aluminum or something, but, you know, obviously glass mirrors wouldn't survive a uh, launch. Right. So, uh, however they did the mirrors, (laughs) it, and by the way, if it was disruptor fire, I know disruptors are directed energy of some kind, and they kind of look like lasers, but I don't. Is it really a light weapon? Anyway, whatever. So it reflects and comes back on the Klingons. I, you know, if you don't think too much, it's clever. Good idea. Yeah, they Spock. never call it. I mean, it, it is weird because they purposely never call it a disruptor through the right. whole thing. It's always our new space ray. Exactly, ray. So they're definitely saying it's a light based right. weapon. Yeah. When I was a kid, I gave a lot of thought to this. The whole idea of if mirrors would would reflect blaster or phaser mm-hmm. or heat vision, you mm-hmm. know. 
I remember sitting there as a kid, really thinking about it, like, what, what? could you reflect that stuff? You know, <laughs> if I just wore a bunch of, uh, you know, mirrors all over me, could I, you know, reflect a, mm-hmm. a phaser fire? Now that I think about it, I'm like, boy, I wasted a lot of time thinking about this because <laughs> it's all fake. <laughs> but, well, yeah, but but as a kid, it was it was something to really ponder on, you know, when you're sitting there in well, school. I thought about that a little bit myself too, and I when I was doing the synopsis, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, well, well okay, hold on. I I know. I mean, I have laser pointers. I've had laser pointers at very point various points in my life, and sure. they reflect in mirrors just fine. Right. So. Right. And then you see in like Superman three where Superman's able to use his heat vision, mm-hmm. which normally looks just like a laser, mm-hmm. and he melts the mirror and the bar instead of just reflecting off of it. Yet in Superman two, he's able to reflect the heat vision right back to Zod to, to blow him up. So it's just like, <laughs> it's very inconsistent. <laughs> it's like they're just making this up. Exactly. I remember as a kid, I was really, I really was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> So when I was reading this, it did bring back all those thoughts that I had as a kid that I've never thought about again since then. But it's just funny how it all comes back to you and makes you enjoy the book maybe more than than you probably should have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so this modified D7 where, like, the whole front of it is removed and in place of it, they just got this big laser gun. Yeah, it looks like a a laser gun, yeah. It looks like a big laser gun instead of that whole bridge and stuff that comes out from the back section um okay so that makes it seem like oh this is like oh this is like a really special powerful thing but it's like hold on a second the enterprise has phasers and we know that they can fire down with stun mode and take out a whole block of humanoids right right? and we've seen that happen in taws and then we've also seen other episodes like was it bread and circuses or circuit bread and circus, uh, the you know, the Roman one, uh-huh. where the emperor of of worldwide Rome is saying to Kirk, "Well, why send down troops to take over this planet? You, I understand that uh, you can just fire down from orbit, right, and take out any force you want to." And then, even in the first pilot, they had that laser on the ground. Oh, right, yeah. I forgot the character's name, but he was he was like a, a lieutenant or something. And then he's reporting up to up to the ship saying, We just laid out enough power to, to destroy half a continent at that thing and it isn't doing anything. Right. So the Enterprise itself in various forms can do the same stuff that this you know, this killer spaceship can do to these people. So But um, it looks cool. Well, it looks cool, it looks fine. But yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd comment on that. Yeah. It's my same complaint that I have with the Revenge of the... No, Rise of Skywalker. Whatever that last Oh, was. right. Yeah. Where all the Star Destroyers now had a laser on the stomach that would destroy planets. And it's just like, oh, you just kind of took away the mystique of both Starkiller Base and Death Star. So... Yeah. Way to go, JJ. <laughs> Another childhood ruined. <laughs> well, you got to keep raising the stakes, man. Yeah. Even if it doesn't make any sense. Well, okay, the Star Killer base was just stupid, mm-hmm. stupid. And then being able to generate that much power with like without five Death Star lasers all coming to one point and then shooting forward as one—how could that work? 
because it was absorbing all the power of one sun. Because you mm. know how JJ doesn't know how suns work. <laughs> one supernova can take out the universe. Yes. Yeah. In both Star Wars and Star Trek now. Yeah, there you go. Anyways. Yeah. So um, my last comment about this one is just that basically this struck me as being a reworked errand of mercy. So that Taz episode. Where they were giving the guns to the. No. The, the peoples? No. Errand of Mercy was the first one where we first meet the Klingons. And we also first meet the, um, the super beings, the. Um... Arconians? Yes. Or, no, not. Arconians. not... That's, that's too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Organians. Organians. Exactly. So Kirk and the landing party is there on Organia, or in this case, Fornia? Oh, well, whatever. Whatever this planet is called. Yeah. And then Klingons walk in. And then, you know, Kirk and Spock end up telling Sulu to take the ship out of here. And they start doing a guerrilla warfare, which is not... Quite the same thing. I mean, they went in and, and did the satellite thing instead. But they did have kind of a guerrilla thing where they stole the explosives, right? Right. So, I mean, there are differences. The way it ended, you know, they didn't turn out to be super beings able to challenge Q, these Forneans. But, so the end was different, but I just saw a lot of channeling of Aaron of Mercy. Mm. Now, you mentioned that, and I, I didn't really... I guess I didn't remember which episode that was. I was thinking it was the one where they were giving out the guns to the different sides. Yeah... That one was different. That was one with the Mugatu. Right. Um, what was that one title? I don't know. It don't, don't matter. But yeah. But um, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think Aaron of Mercy is a better match, but... Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. My last thing about this book is that uh, I thought it was a little unfair that Markin had to put himself into such harm. I mean, he gets smacked around a bit. He doesn't die or anything, but uh, oh. it's not like... I mean, they did put him in a lot of danger. Mm-hmm. Klingons could have just came and killed him. Could have. But thank goodness they're more the slappy-slappy instead of the shooty-shooty kind of Klingons. <laughs> right. They're not trigger-happy. So, because that guy next to the head Klingon definitely looks like he's got a weapon. Right. No, they haven't. Yep. Just chose not to. But they just don't use him in time. Until they get so, their ship blowed up. So somehow Kirk is able to take on two armed Klingons while Spock takes out the uh, leader. Yeah, twice. That's two times that Kirk's knocked out two Klingons with one punch. Yep. And I did think it was funny that Spock even makes a comment of it, just like, doing a nerf pitch on you is getting tiresome. <laughs> second time he's done it. At least they're acknowledging the ridiculousness of it a bit. Right. Yeah, I've always heard of the one-two punch. I never heard of the one-for-two punch, where you can <laughs> knock out people with one punch. Uh, it looks a little bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. The one guy's head is snapped back, and then the other guy is probably getting hit, too. All right, anything else? No. So are you ready to finish off UK strips all together next week? Oh, my gosh. Has the time come? Yes, I am ready. So we have... Five more short stories spread out through all the, the different um, annuals we haven't done yet. So we'll be doing the last five next week. Cool. So those are all annuals. Is that right? Uh, yeah. They're all, they're no. all in various annuals. No summer or autumn special. They're all annuals. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, since I'm reading them repu- reprinted, I 
I don't have the actual books. Okay. But according to memory beta, that is the case. Cool. Okay. Right. Sounds great. Another check mark yep. around the corner. We'll be finished with UK and Gold Key and Marvel and DC and only have IDW going forward. It's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. But it's also nice seeing the finish line within sight. True. True. And that we can do other things. So. Exactly. Okay, well, right. thanks, everybody, for joining us. See you next week on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.